Christian schools make it impossible for many who grow up in an evangelical environment or in the environment of that particular school to ever be in a place where truth about anything is truly clear in their heads. As far as I'm concerned, there's a difference between lies that are passed down from generation to generation in public school and lies that are told to cover up other lies that are known to be lies. That's the difference and I think that's what happens in a lot of Christian school curriculum about history. They leave things out because they know how bad it makes them look. And I'm glad that there are Christians out there who also see through some of this bullshit. I think that it's encouraging. Not that it seems like it's making a whole lot of changes, but just the fact that there are people out there and they're willing to say, hey, you know what? This isn't right, is in fact encouraging to me, even if these people aren't turning their back on their faith just yet. Welcome to Unbound, a podcast for new atheists and lifetime atheists, ex-evangelicals, truth seekers, and free thinkers. There is life after faith. And life here is good. It's time for a new perspective and a better conversation. I'm Spider. And I'm Shell. And it's time to get unbound. You got your Jesus on my science. And you got your Jesus on my history, too. I'm Spider. And I'm Shell. And tonight we're going to be talking about two things that don't go well together at all. Mm. Christian education, more to the point, Christian schools. We've already done two whole episodes on why Bible college is a bad idea. And that Mm. was way, way back. So I want to revisit this a little bit tonight and just talk about it from the standpoint of not college, but grade school. I mean, we've also done a couple of episodes where we've talked about the way that they indoctrinate kids and all of the problems that arise out of that. Right. Incidentally, those of you who were listening last week, um, if you survived (laughs) episode 50 with the sound problems that we had bless you for coming back yeah i still do not know what happened there i don't know why shell's audio was so far off but as i was doing the editing for that episode it became apparent to me that you were listening to her through my mic everything sounded fine you know everything in in my headphones sounded just fine and then when i went to edit the episode on i had a severe what the fuck moment (laughs) but when you're doing a show like this And I understand completely the need for it to sound good so that people will listen and keep coming back. But I'm far more concerned about the message getting out there than I am with how it sounds. So I made a couple of tough decisions. I spent some extra time on the editing so that you could hear what she had to say. But I was more concerned that the message got out than I was with how good it sounded. So this week, I'm watching the audio in front of me. I can see her showing up on her end. I can hear her in my in my headphones. Yeah. So I think that we are good to go. After 49 episodes, I don't know how we shit the bed so bad with that last <laughs> week. But it was still good content. Yeah. And I really did like what we did with last week's episode. So if you're back after that travesty, thank you so much. Thank you. For sticking with us. <laughs> and, you know, if... I had a little bit more to work with here, a little bit more professional equipment, a studio, anything that would allow me to do a little bit better with this, then stuff like that may not happen. So there's a nice little guilty segue into talking about our Patreon (laughs) for a couple of seconds here. Patreon.com slash Unbound Podcast Network. That's where you're going to find us. If you have a fiver you can throw our way, we could certainly use it. 
and it will go to good use and it's going to help more people get and stay unbound. And that's really the primary purpose here. That's why I couldn't let ego be part of it. I always want to put out like the best thing that I possibly can. Right. And last week was far from that in terms of the quality, but I think that the quality of the messaging was still 100%. Yeah. So with all of that in mind, let's get right into the heart of our episode for this evening. We're talking about Christian schools and why Christian schools are not just a bad idea for the individual, but also for society. And there are numerous reasons why Christian schools are a bad idea, but a lot of Christian parents still opt for it because they feel like it's a safer option for their kids. Mm. So why do so many Christian parents choose private Christian schools that they have to pay for as opposed to sending their kids to public school? And the other thing that I thought about when I was jotting that question down, it's just something that I brainstormed. You know, the whole aspect of the number of kids that a lot of Christian families have. Yeah. And then thinking about not just sending one kid right. to a school that we have to pay for, but having like three or four of them in yeah. school at the same time. How do you live? How do you keep your house? How are you surviving on anything hmm. besides bologna and peanut butter at that point? Well, I'll bet there's a multi-kid discount. Well, I'm sure there is, but there's <laughs> but still... still. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the expense of this... Private school, regardless of whether it's Christian or secular or anything in between, is expensive. Yes. Christian schools are a little bit less expensive on the tuition, but there is still that aspect to it. People mm -hmm. pay for this. And if you've got five kids who are all school age, they're all going at the same time. I have no clue how a family, and especially when you consider if there are five kids in that house, mom is not working. No. So how are they doing this on a single income and everyone's still surviving? I have no idea. But there are a number of reasons why Christian parents opt for this. And some of these I just brainstormed and some were the product of the research that I was doing for this episode. But let's examine some of the more popular reasons here. I was going to say top 10, but then I'm reading it and it's only like eight. So, <laughs> you know, top eight reasons why... <laughs> Christian parents choose Christian schools. Mm. Um, for starters, they're afraid of cross-contamination, kids being taught things that contradict their beliefs at home. And that is, it's a legitimate concern from the standpoint of the evangelical mind right. and the mind of the evangelical parent, because there's a lot of fear of crosstalk within the ranks. Like I talked about last week with the whole ecumenical community thing, a lot of evangelicals have issues with their kids being taught anything outside of that cloister. Yeah. So they have to be very, very sure that what is being taught in these Christian schools is going to line up with what the kids are getting in church on Sunday also. And I'm sorry, but that's an impossibility. <laughs> yeah, You're right? never going to know no. what's going on in that classroom unless you are there, unless you have some way of watching what your kids are doing all day. And I would not be a bit surprised if some of these schools were set up for that, but I wouldn't be surprised either if they didn't want it at all because with right. all due respect, there's shit that goes down within the walls of your average Christian school that may actually appall some of the parents that are out there. And we're right. going to talk a little bit about that later too. Mm -hmm. But this one was actually one that jumped into my mind 
because of a conversation that I had had with one of my girlfriend's parents back in the day regarding the atmosphere of right. public schools. And they like to use this phrase. They used it more than once, but they wouldn't send their kids to public school because, quote, the atmosphere was sinful. <laughs> and I was given that same bullshit reason for why I couldn't take my girlfriend to prom, too, because uh, yeah. the atmosphere of prom was sinful. But <laughs> right. I wanted to go to prom. And that was it. And I did with someone that I really liked and cared about and kind of stepped up because I couldn't take my girlfriend to this sinful event. <laughs> but I can remember these same people using that phrase in a lot of contexts. But one of the very first conversations that I had with them was about homeschooling because that's what they were doing. And that's a whole other episode. So I'm not going to delve into a lot of that. Right. But they didn't want to send their kids to public school because the atmosphere was sinful. And with all due respect, I'm guessing they just flat out couldn't afford to send their kids to a private school. Right. So this was the alternative. They just decided to homeschool. And that is all I'm going to say about homeschooling. I'm zipping my lip on that because I do want to do an episode on it. Yeah, it's um, a big topic too. It's a huge topic. And I want to give it its due. So the next thing I jotted down here was who knows what my kids' teachers believe. So it goes back to the whole cross-contamination aspect of things. And again, it's legit from the standpoint of someone who doesn't want disparity between what's being taught at home and what's being taught in school. But the bottom line there also is, well, who gives a fuck what your teachers believe? Right. They're there to teach math and science. Right. For what it's worth in a Christian school, they're there to teach math and science. They're not there to teach your kid what to believe on a spiritual level. No. You need to research what the religious education curriculum is in that school to ascertain how close it is to what's being taught at home. But what the teachers believe is irrelevant because if right. there is an established curriculum, then they have to follow that curriculum. And that's that. So it really isn't so much about what the teachers believe. My kids will be steered away from Christian morals if they go to a public school. Mm. Well, why? That's the question that sticks in my right. mind about that is why would they be steered away from Christian morals if you are doing your job as a parent at home? Right. I mean, well, that's... <laughs> there's also the fact that this this particular society that we live in is entirely Christian-centric. It is so Christian-centric that we used to have blue laws on the book so that, that stores couldn't open on Sundays. Oh, yeah. It, it's very, very recent right. that some of these laws have been changed, like especially in here 80s. in Massachusetts. Yeah. Oh, forget about the 80s. The whole thing with liquor stores not yeah. opening on Sundays. Oh, that's right. That was mid-00s. Yeah, that's true. I think true. that that changed. That, that was a vote in the mid 2000s yeah that finally got changed yes so i mean forget about the 80s there's still a lot of puritanical laws out there right they've just been on the books forever and they're still adhered to because they're enforced but those things are changing but it's slow change right but you know since we are so christian centric as a nation if you just have basic Christian beliefs, those are going to be reinforced wherever you go. It's true. I mean, the most, the more extreme examples aren't really going to be enforced, but at the same time, why would you want anybody but your church handling that part of it? That's really what it boils down to, and, and it goes back to the first couple of points about teachers, what they believe, yeah. and these things coming out as part of the academic day. It's always a possibility, 
But again, if they're adhering to the established curriculum right. and the established curriculum says, say this, right. then they could get into some serious hot water for saying something else. It doesn't matter what their opinions are. Yeah, true. So the next one, not only is the atmosphere of public school sinful, it's also dangerous. Yes. Public schools are dangerous. Very. Um, the same parent used to like to use the phrase blood in the halls. Yes, there's blood in the halls. I've only there's... seen blood in the halls once. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if I have to be honest, I saw a few fights yeah. when I was in high school. I saw a few. I don't think that I ever saw bloodshed. The whole blood in the halls aspect of that, I actually thought that it was funny. And it was like the first time that I was meeting this person's mother. So I'm almost literally biting my tongue to not say something, to not laugh out loud at, <laughs> at the sheer silliness of, okay, my kid's going to go to a, a public school and get bloodied up every day. I was one of the kids that got bullied, and I didn't get bloodied up every day. So, wow. you know, there was that. Most of the people who caused problems, in my high school anyway, they were mostly bark and very little bite. Right. So there was bullying, but it stopped at the verbal part of it. There was usually not a whole lot in terms of physical altercations. If there was going to be a fight, it was happening between periods. Either that or it was happening somewhere off campus and only the people who really, really, really cared that something was going down were there to actually see what went down. <laughs> and by the time word of anything like that got around, it had already been dealt with on an administrative level right. so that things didn't actually escalate. And a lot of bombs were diffused that way, too. So yeah. I didn't really see a whole lot. Certainly not blood in the halls. <laughs> no, no that, that's no just not a thing halls. that happened. My kid might start dating a non-Christian. Oh, can we hope? Can, <laughs> can we hope that you start getting steered away from some of this stinking thinking? Yeah. But I also understand where the concerns are there. Not so much from a spiritual level, but just from what I know about a lot of Christian kids. Once they get to be teenagers, a lot of them have had very sheltered existences. So when met with the opportunity to explore something a little bit outside that cloister, a lot of times it's a big draw for oh, these yeah. kids. There's a lot of allure to stepping away from the religion a little bit. And they might find someone who didn't grow up this way even more interesting because of the experiences that they've had and the differences that exist there. The other part of that is that they grow up in this very puritanical environment where either A, they don't understand anything about sex, it hasn't been talked about at home, or B, it's been made such a taboo thing that it's like the hot oven. Tell the toddler, don't touch the hot oven. What are they going to do? That's the way that this goes. So you shelter them from it their entire lives. And now when it becomes something that it's literally right in front of them that they can experience, now all of a sudden it's a priority to experience it. So from that standpoint, yeah, I can see that being problematic, but not for any spiritual reason, just because of the way you've brought them up. That's the real issue there. Public schools have drug problems. Oh, you don't think that your church has drug problems? <laughs> you don't think that somebody sitting in the pew next to you has drug problems? There are people from all walks of life right, right there in the pews of your church. So the fact that certain things might circulate in the average high school, I never saw anything no. in my high school except once in a while a rumor of someone having weed. 
Yeah, that's all it was, usually. Just a rumor of weed. Oh, that's and I, I knew people who legit smoked weed. Well, I yeah. knew I knew plenty because I was one of the kids out on the smoking patio. I wasn't a smoker, but I hung out with a lot of the metalheads. Yeah. And the kids that would have been considered quote unquote burnouts or stoners. I hung out with a number of these kids. I had several cliques. I had my little Christian cloister, but then I had that. Yeah. And then started leading some of the stoners to Jesus too. So, you know, it's that the world's kind of collided with a few of those people. Mm. But I never, ever heard of anything beyond that. Right. On my high school campus, never heard anything about cocaine, heroin, none of the stuff that would be really harmful. And, you know, I, I don't think that younger teenagers should be just walking around with weed. But with all due respect, I would much rather learn that my kid was found with weed than found with crack yeah. or something else. Anything that's not going to kill him, I'm not going to kill him over. You know what I mean? That's the way that I look at it. At least I do now. In the mindset that I was in back then, here's the counter argument to that because thinking as a Christian teenager, I was convinced that this was a big problem, even though I never really saw it. Right. So every rumor... So every rumor that came down the rumor mill in my head got amplified to like a hundred times what it actually was. And it was a scary notion to think that these bad things were in my school. But honestly, they were largely not. I'm not saying that every school in America is like that. I'm sure that there are plenty of schools out there that have seen their share of these kinds of problems. I heard about it a few times when I was substitute teaching, but I don't think that it's the pervasive thing that Christian parents think it is like your kid's going to walk into homeroom and he's going to be accosted by six different dealers wanting to sell him six different drugs. That's not the way that it (laughs) works like ever. Okay. So I won't downplay that it can be a problem in some schools, but it's not every school. And when these things arise, it's usually blown out of proportion by the rumor mill or it's a non-issue because it's just kids talking and being kids and that's what they do. Public schools promote teen sex. Why? Because they let the kids make out in the halls? I mean, you don't see a whole lot of 30, 40, and 50-year-olds doing the whole public display of affection thing. You don't see it terribly often. But when you're talking about kids who are just waking up sexually and these are new things for them, well, yeah, I saw a lot of kissy-kissy, huggy-huggy in the halls of my high school, too. And I think I said this on another episode this way. It's like, I would walk by a couple and they would be going at it like he was going off to war, but he was just going off to social studies, you know, (laughs) but that's that age group and these things happen. But again, it was not the type of thing that you saw in massive numbers. You know, there were the few couples that were a little bit more demonstrative Mm -hmm. and granted, this was something that you would probably see every day, but it really didn't escalate the way that I'm certain a lot of Christian parents see it escalating in their minds. And it's gotten less because I've been in public high schools within the last decade. And honestly, I see less of it now. Yeah. I see quite a bit less of it. Although the other side of that, and I'm certain that these parents wouldn't like it either, is that there's also more of it among same-sex couples. Right. I've seen a lot of gay and lesbian smoochy-woochy going on yeah. in high school hallways. Now, it's much more accepted. 
than it was back in the 80s. It was very closeted then. Yeah. But you kind of get a mixed bag. And even at that point, I still say that it is much less than what I saw in the halls of my high school. It happens, but it's not the type of thing that your kid's going to walk through the door and basically encounter an orgy. It's not something that you're going to that you have to be worried about. Right. But it, again, it's one of those things that gets amplified in the heads of a lot of Christian parents, especially when these Christian kids come home and start telling their amplified versions of these stories of things that they saw. So a lot of these concerns are really the product of the proverbial game of telephone, where details start getting inflated or changed or shifted in some way from what actually happened to what this one kid's perception was of what happened. Right. And that's true in a lot of the cases of the things that were on that list. But suffice it to say, most of the things that concern Christian parents, I'm not going to say that they aren't concerns. I'm just going to say that in the grand scheme of things, they aren't anywhere near as pervasive or serious. So, by and large, your average public school is safe in terms of how they monitor what the kids are doing, where the kids are going. There's still a decent level of control right. depending on depending on the administration yeah. at that school. Because let me tell you, we got two high schools in this town. One is phenomenal and one is shit. Yeah. And it has everything to do with administration and how they deal with discipline. Right. One of our high schools has nothing but discipline problems. And then the other one has a lot of law and order because right. they have different rules in place and they actually enforce them. Right. So I'm not going to call it a war zone because it kind of contradicts what I just said, but there is more of it in some places than there is in others. And I still think that in terms of severity, that these things get blown up as the rumor mill has its way or as the game of telephone has its way and it makes its way around school. Right. The details really, really do get blown up. By and large, even the school that I was referring to, I would consider to be largely safe just based on what I've seen and the levels of those kinds of activities that I saw there. Now, we talked about the reasons why a lot of Christian parents don't want to send their kids to public school, but let's talk about some of the ways that they are coerced yeah. into sending their kids to Christian school. This is just an example. I linked to this PDF from one of the Christian schools out there. I thought that it was just a good example of some of the things that are wrong with how they motivate parents to send their kids to any Christian school, not even this one, but any Christian school. And these are some of the reasons that they give. And I'm going to kind of give the point counterpoint with this. Hmm. First off, you are accountable to God for what your children are taught in school. Well, how could that even be a thing unless you are right there with them or you're at home watching their classes happen on Zoom? How do you control that? I say that, and as the words are coming out of my mouth, I understand that as far as these people are concerned, that there's some guy out there in the middle of nowhere in Africa who's going to hell because he has no conception of who Jesus is. Yeah. So yeah. he's accountable for his own soul. And yet he's never heard this. So it's the same type of thinking that goes into something like this. Christian schools offer a better level of instruction 
Oh, really? Mm. We're going to get into that one in a few minutes. And let me just tell you, I think this is probably the most inaccurate thing on this list. But here's another part of this particular one that I think is incredibly divisive and very, very, very deceptive. And it says right here in the document, standardized test scores have shown that scores of Christian school students are consistently higher than state and national averages of their peers in public schools. That accounts for the Stanford Achievement S, the ACT, and the SAT. Well, there are reasons for that. And I can't point fingers at any particular school or administrator, but I know that this happens even in our public schools in Massachusetts, where if a kid is falling behind in standardized testing, they'll get coached right down to the point of being told what to answer for certain questions. Definitely. So here's the thing with Christian schools. Why do they rank higher? Because most of the time, they don't have state-sanctioned proctors in their midst. They're allowed largely to do whatever they want, and that's the biggest part of the problem here. So it's not that their students are actually testing higher. It's that they're in an environment where they are being encouraged to and helped to cheat on these tests, and that's why they're doing better, because these schools understand that the communities that they're in probably wouldn't tolerate them if it got around how shitty an education they were actually offering. Right. So, yeah, these kids test higher. Now, here's the point-counterpoint with that. Same girl that I was talking about before who was homeschooled. One of the first things that attracted me to her, and I've always been very sapiosexual, was the fact that I got a letter from her and it was written in complete sentences. Yeah. And the spelling was reasonable. Not perfect, but reasonable. So you look at something like that, and then you look at a statement like this, and you have to ask yourself, is there any possible validity to it? Well, I do believe that there are some schools out there that are better than others. There are teachers who are better than others, and there are students who are better than others. But when you take all of this and clump it into one thing and say that Christian schools offer a better level of instruction because the kids do better on standardized tests, I call bullshit. Oh, yeah. It's because they're in this cloistered environment where they are getting all kinds of help that they wouldn't be getting if they were in a public school with state proctors in their midst. To me, that's most of the reason why. One of the other ones on on their list here is that the Bible remains the most important book in the education of your child. That's going to come up in a couple of minutes also. Right. Because not only is it the most important book, but it supersedes any other textbook on any other subject out there. Right. And so in in the context of Christian school, the Bible is more important than any science textbook. Right. And it shows. Another one on their list is that the Christian school provides an opportunity for your child to witness for Christ. There are always some students who need the Savior, and Christian students are trained and encouraged to reach these peers. Why? Why? Why would an unchurched parent send their unchurched kid into this environment? Now... When I was in Catholic school, I did actually see this. Yeah. I had at least one classmate who was Jewish. I had at least one classmate who I believe he was Hindu. So in those instances, those kids would not be present for religion class. And it was just understood that when it was time for that, they were going to go and quote unquote rest. So they would leave the room for that 45 minutes and then they would come back. That was okay with the school 
And there really wasn't a whole lot of pushback in the school that I was in. I don't know what it's like in other Catholic schools, but the one that I went to, they were perfectly okay with these kids not taking the religion classes as long as they were paying their tuition. That's really what they cared about. Of course. Christian school educators teach all subject matter from a Christian context. This is a good thing. Mm. This all kind of interweaves with the stuff we're going to be talking about a little bit later. Right. Christian schools support the family as the number one institution of society. Well, who doesn't? <laughs> and that, that to me, it's like, you know, that that's kind of a slap in the face to anyone who isn't part of their religion. Right. Because guess what? Family matters in atheist households, too. So that's kind of a slap in the face to society in general, but it's supposed to be something to motivate a Christian parent to send their kids to Christian school. Well, you know what? We care about your family and we care about the things that you believe and we care about the cohesiveness that exists within your home. So we're going to work with you on this and we're going to reinforce what your children are being taught at home. They're going to get it here too, is the message behind that. Oh, oh, here we go. Here we go. For all practical purposes, public education has been taken over by atheists, humanists, and moral relativists. Oh, how I wish that were true. I, You know, I'm thinking the same thing. If that were true, society would be so much further along at this point. Yeah. Just think about what could be happening in the world of science or aerospace or any of these things that have been shoved aside and kept under the thumb of Christianity for so long. I mean, long before there were evangelicals, there were people like Galileo being persecuted by the church because they dared to postulate things that went counter to what the church believed, right. like saying that the earth was not the center of the universe. Right. It goes back so far. But I read that, I'm like, you say this like it's a bad thing. <laughs> I would just be happy if it was a true thing. Yeah. <laughs> but unfortunately, we're not quite there yet. Because, I mean, when you walk into the hallowed halls of your alma mater, there are still very theist teachers there. Of Some of them who actually served on many of the retreats that I went on that we talked about last week between the Catholic retreat that one of our vice principals at my junior high school was a Catholic deacon and was one of the officiants for that weekend. We had at least one teacher that I knew really, really well who did a lot of Tresdias teams and another one who was, who was also the sponsor for the Christian share group in my high school, was also involved in Tres Dias. So there's plenty of theist teachers, theist administrators, theist faculty and staff throughout a lot of schools. So no, atheists, humanists, and moral relativists have not, in fact, taken over public education. No. no. I was favored with some of the things that some of my teachers believed as part of the discussions in classes from time to time. It didn't dominate the conversation, right. but you got inside their heads a little bit and mm -hmm. figured out what they believed. Yeah. And I had even engaged with at least one of my teachers on this. I knew a bunch that were Christians, but there was one in particular, an older guy who was also a Catholic deacon, who first put the idea of Satan not being a literal being into my head. Right. And that was in, I believe, I want to say it was 11th grade that I got into the conversation with this guy about that. Sorry, but theism is alive and well in the public schools. 
Christian school educators maintain discipline in the classroom and on the playground. Well, so does a good teacher in a public school. Yeah. It's becoming more difficult over time because there has been a certain shift that has taken place over the last 20 or 30 years that, for whatever reason, a lot of teachers have started becoming afraid of their students. I'm not sure why that is. Well, actually, I, I do have an idea because I've been in that setting. When I was in school, it wasn't so much about keeping up numbers, okay? Right. It wasn't so much about you had to have standardized test scores at these levels to maintain this level of funding or anything like that. But one time when I was doing a long-term sub at the high school that I talked about a few minutes ago, I was doing a, a long-term project at the school and had dealt out some zeros to students who literally didn't know the answer to a single question on a quiz. And when it came time for their progress reports and their grades were below passing, I was pulled aside by the uh, department head of the English department at this high school and said, look, we need to cushion some of these grades just a little bit. We need to get them into past territory or, and I quote, it's going to generate phone calls. Yeah. Well, you see, that's part of the problem as far as I'm concerned, because over time, parents have become less involved yeah. in the educational process of their kids. And I see it in driver's ed. Most parents are clueless as to what's going on during a lesson, how long a lesson is. More kids than not get out of the car and text their rides because the parents have no clue when to be back. Right. So there's been a real shift that has gone on there. But when I look at this from the standpoint of this is supposed to motivate me to send my kid to a Christian school... No, there are secular teachers out there that are more than capable of maintaining order in their classrooms. Right. So that really isn't, in my opinion, a motivator to take them out of an environment where they're actually going to be learning things that are valuable and put them in this cloister where they're going to graduate just blithering idiots when it comes to things like science. This last one. Oh, come now. Come now. Your children are gifts from the Lord. So why on earth would you toss them into the cesspool of public education? Mm. Send them here where they can be in their little cloister and they can learn all the same things here that they're going to learn in church. And let's get them real, real used to being at church all the time so that when they're older, all they want to do is be in church and all they want to have are Christian friends and all they want to have are Christian thoughts. And all they want to do is believe all of the bullshit that we're going to teach them for the next 12 or 13 years. Right. Now, I'm not going to break into platitudes here about your children being gifts. Our children are the product of our behavior. They exist because we had sex. And that's the only reason they exist. They're not a gift from anywhere. But once they're here, we have a responsibility to them. Right. So I think a more responsible way of putting that would be that you are responsible for what your kid's day looks like. I would have a little bit more respect for it being put that way because right. at the end of the day, it's true. And that disconnect that I talked about a couple of minutes ago can really manifest in some bad behavior at school. If the parents are uninvolved or they're the type of parent that not my kids everything, you know yeah. what I mean? Oh, the yeah. ones that whenever 
a problem arises in school and it's brought to their attention, their reaction to it is not my kid. Well, guess what? I saw this when I was that age too. I saw it when I was in elementary school and and I saw it as a substitute teacher also. So things haven't changed that much along those lines. But it's not secular versus Christian. There are discipline cases in secular schools and there are discipline cases in Christian schools. You cannot guarantee that you're going to send your kid into an environment where things are just going to be blissful and happy mm. and it's going to be all Jesus-y and lovely. It's still a crapshoot as to who's going to be enrolled at what time and how much love is going to be bestowed on these kids that are wreaking havoc within those walls until they're finally put out. That's a problem in any, any educational setting. So let's talk a little bit, since I said there, there were several of the things on that list that kind of come together to make these points that I'm getting into right now. Let's talk about the curriculum that a lot of Christian schools embrace and the types of things that they teach and the slants that they put on them. For starters, there's the whole aspect of how science is taught, and right. it's almost always taught from the standpoint of creationism, and it shuns any other responsible scientific education that could happen in that setting. And I found a couple of really good articles, one that actually linked to another. And the first one was posted in Huffington Post. And because they are the masters of content curation, they cite another article from an author named Dana Hunter. Millions of children are being taught in Christian private schools and through religious homeschooling that the earth is less than 10,000 years old and that Noah's flood is, quote, the event that formed most of the geological record. Oh, bullshit. Yeah. No. Sorry. Many of these schools, as well as parents who homeschool their children for religious reasons, use non-accredited science books, such as Science of the Physical Creation in Christian Perspective, that inject religious ideology into, quote-unquote, lessons, big air quotes, lessons about science. So that was from Huffington Post. I decided to click through to the original article from Dana Hunter and got this quote. Now, think about this. Close your eyes and think about it. Imagine millions of kids emerging from their primary education, believing that if science gives results different from a peculiar interpretation of the Bible, then they must either discard those results or twist and torture them to fit. Imagine those kids trying to get into college with that quote-unquote education, trying to have careers in a scientific field they may love, but which cannot support their interpretation. Imagine kids being taught that global warming isn't a problem because God promised he'd never destroy the earth again, then going on to become policymakers in a warming world. This is happening. That last part, those last three words are chilling yeah. because they are true. I mean, you think about the rest of that and it's like, that's out of a fairy tale. That doesn't happen. Right. Oh, yes, it happens. It happens in most Christian schools in America. This is what these kids are being taught, right. that global warming is not a thing and that creationism is how everything came to be, that right. something had to create it. They still never deal with the question of then who created the creator. If everything has to have a creator, then who created the creator and how far back does this go? Right. But they don't want to touch that one with a 10-meter cattle prod because they don't have an answer. So the next part of this, since creationism is the thing that takes the spotlight, of course, evolution is going to be rejected outright. And, oh my God, this every single time I hear this phrase, it's like nails on a chalkboard. Yeah. It's just a theory. Yes. Okay. 
So just so that we're clear, let's answer the question of what is a scientific theory. I think this is the simplest definition that I found. Most people use the word theory to mean an idea or hunch that someone has. But in science, the word theory refers to the way that we interpret facts. Right. So it's not a matter of we just think that this is a thing. It's a matter of we know this, 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 and this about this thing. But we may not know everything yet. So this is the foundation that we're working with. And these are the things that we turn to when we're trying to learn more. Right. about this, but we know that this, 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 and this is true. And I started thinking about how this word gets tossed around, the word theory right. gets tossed around in various contexts. And, you know, our college yeah. had music theory classes, but no one ever argued about the existence of middle C, you see? Yeah. And no one argued that it existed. No one argued about its tonal qualities or how it sounds when it's played with or alongside other notes. These were never things that were questioned. No one at Valley Farce that I know of ever looked at a treble clef and decided they were going to play the notes as if they were bass notes, citing that treble and bass are just theories, so you can't trust the sheet music. I I never, ever saw anything like that. In this context, the word theory means the same thing as in the above quote, a collection of details about things we already know to be true based on available evidence. Mm. You can also read the word theory in this context as foundation. Middle C is a foundational concept in music for understanding what makes a melody, while things like DNA are foundational to understanding what makes an organism. Mm. So it's the same type of application that's placed on both, and yet a Christian can accept music theory but can't accept evolution theory even though it's based on the same tenets and premises. But since I brought up music and DNA, let's take a quick look at how these things are similar. Both of them form the foundation for what they're used to create. Both contain specific information that determines the structure of something. The data contained in each are designed to construct a specific thing in a specific way, and both are observable and interpretable. So when you're dealing with theory, music and science are not that different. No. It's just that one, you can sit there and you can read those notes. And when your fingers start playing those notes, you can hear it and you understand that those notes mean something. But isn't this the religion that is supposed to be taken on blind faith? Mm. So why do they have such a problem with this area of science that they flat out don't understand. You can do the same thing with evolution as you do with music theory. It's just that music theory for a lot of people is a lot easier to understand. Middle C is a lot easier to understand than a DNA strand or the human genome or all of these things that are part of science in general, not just evolution, but science in general. But one is accepted and one is rejected, mostly, I guess, on its intricacy and not its truth. Right. I'm going to breeze over this quickly and just recommend a really, really good source so that you get a, a really clear idea of why this is true. 
In Christian schools, geology is taught from the standpoint of the flood and not the scientifically proven timeline of progressive changes to the topography of the Earth that literally, observably, and in very traceable terms covers billions of years. They want to cram it into 10,000 years. I'm not going to get too far into this because I know that I cannot say it any better than this guy. <laughs> get on YouTube and search for Aaron Ra. That's right. Aaron with one N. A-R-O-N. Aaron Ra, R-A, one of the smartest guys in any atheist circle that you want to find yourself in. This guy is incredibly smart, and he's got an entire series of videos that I think I've mentioned on the show before, but just get on YouTube, put in his name, and how geology disproves the flood, and just sit back and bask in the facts. I mean, <laughs> yes. it's it's amazing the things that he comes up with and the way that he so thoroughly and eloquently explains all of this. I'm actually going to make sure that there is a link. I'm actually going to make sure that there's a link to the video that I'm talking about in the show notes so you can just go in and click it right. and definitely watch it. But that's all I'm going to say about it because, again, he says it so much better than I ever could. So please do yourself a favor and watch this. And you'll get a very good idea of the sheer levels of disparity and silliness that exist between how a Christian school teaches this, where it's based on something that never, ever happened, versus what you can actually, literally, physically observe about this. Right. Definitely watch that video. Now let's talk about history and the slant that they put on history. On the slant, sometimes they exclude it outright. Oh, yeah. The exclusion of history courses or religious slants on history that often have no basis in fact are common in Christian schools. Now, to be fair, public school history curricula are usually pretty pathetic, too. Not to mention hopelessly racist. Yeah. Um, that's a problem. Yeah. It's a problem everywhere, not just in Christian schools. But the way that Christian schools deal with it is far more sinister, in my opinion. But that, of course, is coming from a white guy who, who grew up in at least half and half private school versus um, right. public school environments. But as far as I'm concerned, there's a difference between lies that are passed down from generation to generation in public school and lies that are told to cover up other lies that are known to be lies. That's the difference, and I think that's what happens in a lot of Christian school curriculum about history. They leave things out because they know how bad it makes them look. But, I mean, when you look at secular history classes, you learn that Christopher Columbus was apparently a really great guy. Mm. He's got his own holiday and everything. And racism and slavery were things that happened a long time ago. You know, we learn about slavery as being something that was a thing around the, around the Civil War, but we neglect to realize that it goes on to this day. It's just that it wears different faces, yes. and it's done in a more systematic way, right? particularly through our penal system. Yeah. Incarcerated inmates are the new slaves. Yes. And that's a huge problem in America. It never went away. And also, when you consider how much disparity there is in numbers between white inmates and minority inmates, it becomes even more sinister Yeah, when you think about it from that perspective. Then there's the whole bit of the pilgrims and Native Americans getting along so well that they all sat down for a nice Thanksgiving dinner together at one point. Mm. Yeah, no, that didn't happen either. Really good book that I also have a link to that I think anyone who really wants to get the straight shit on a lot of American history should read. 
is a book called Lies My Teacher Told Me. It's been out for a while. It's, oh, yeah. It's been out there for quite I a while. That. And we've both read, I haven't read the whole thing, but I've yeah. read a bit of it. Yeah. And it's an eye opener. It Definitely. really is. When you start learning how slanted some of this yeah. stuff is and just how untrue a lot of it is. And we are brought up in the American school system to believe that these things are true, which goes right back to, especially when it comes to things like racism yeah. and slavery. It goes right back to what I've said a few times about Jane Elliott. And if you don't know who she is, by all means, look her up too, because you will learn a thing or two about a thing or two from her. But one of her more famous quotes is that if you get through your high school education as a white person in America and you aren't racist at the end of it, then your social studies teachers weren't doing their jobs. Yeah. So that's in secular mm -hmm. education. But Christian schools take it a step further by completely removing any details about history that they don't like from any curriculum that they decide to adopt and if they don't find something that their entire board can agree on, they just simply don't delve into history at all. They don't include history as part of the curriculum at all. How do they get away with that? I mean, there are still regulations that they have to follow, and that's just that. But many of these schools get around this by counting Bible classes as history. Boy. They identify the Bible as an historical document, and they devise a history curriculum that's just their religion class. But now they call it history because the Bible is the foundation for this and the Bible is an historical book. It amazes me how even in 2021, there are people out there who look at the Bible as that, as an historical document. I can't even begin to wrap my brain around yeah. how there are so many people who still believe that these things are true. But then again, most people outside of Christendom are perfectly okay accepting that Jesus was a real person when most evidences out there that are available that you can actually look at and examine and critique will tell you that he wasn't. Right. But most people just accept that he once walked the earth. Right. And, you know, maybe to a greater or lesser extent that's true. He could be an amalgam of a lot of the nutters that were running yeah. around Palestine at that time. Yeah. But I seriously doubt that there was actually a person yeah. who met this description and who those stories were written about. There's nothing in any legit historical record that even begins to suggest that this guy ever existed. Right. It's very, very, very shaky in terms of the proofs that are out there. And honestly, there are no proofs. It's all conjecture. The only thing that we have is this one book. But like I've said before, I have seven books on my bookcase right now that say that there's a school for underage wizards in Scotland. Yeah. Just because it's in a book doesn't make it true. Right. So that, in a nutshell, is how they get away with it. They identify biblical studies as history, and everyone in the education system just plays along. Mm-hmm. Because it's easier to just smile, nod, and walk away than it is to try and do something about it and have these idiots start screaming about separation of church and state. Yeah. We have the right to teach our kids lies. That's really what it boils down to as far as they're concerned. I mean, they're not going to come right out and call them lies, but that's, <laughs> that's the general gist of it. We have the right to teach our kids this stuff from this angle. And that's true of history. It's true of science. It's true of anything. Right. So... There are also some serious issues when transitioning to public school 
Like, mm-hmm. let's just say you're a kid like me and I have experience in this because I went to parochial school from K to five. So I spent six years in that Catholic school environment. And let me tell you, when I left that environment, it was an eye-opener. Many Christian schools take on, and this was the problem at the school that I went to, many Christian schools take on such a family structure to how they do things that they don't always follow state-mandated curricula to the letter. What often happens is that when kids try to transition from a Christian school to a public school, they lack some of the basic knowledge necessary for the grade they're entering and are forced to repeat a grade before being able to continue. Yeah. And it almost happened to me, and I was pissed. Mm. But I also knew that this was the type of thing that was going on in the school that I was in. The same group of kids going to school together for years at a time. If you didn't get to something by the end of the school year, it's ah, whatever. We'll just pick up here next year. (laughs) And eventually it'll all get caught up. And that was the way that they dealt with it. Well, I left that environment after fifth grade and I went into public school not knowing how to do three-digit division. Yeah. Okay. And it was something that I was supposed to know walking in. And then other things cropped up, other disparities. I have no idea why the decision was never made to just put me back in fifth grade. I think a lot of it, though, had to do with my emotional state at that point. Because I had been dragged away from this environment that I had known my entire life. And now I was in this room with a bunch of strangers And sixth grade was not a good year for me Mm, on an emotional level or anything else. It was not a good year. And let's not forget that that was also the point where I had lost my best friend over the summer. Yeah. So I really, really, really felt alone. And I just think that the powers that be decided, look, if he's a little bit behind, then we just sort of have to deal with it in this instance. But with another kid, someone else might have been held back right in retrospect looking at it from the standpoint of an adult i probably should have been yeah i think it would have been less stressful at the end of the day for me to repeat fifth grade on a level where i'm actually being taught what i'm supposed to be taught and then picking it up the following year i think that it probably would have been a little bit better for me but that is water way 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 under the bridge at this point i had other issues too You know, I had a lot of physical issues. I was in and out of hospitals, having surgeries and all of that. So there was just a lot. Yeah. And the transition plus the personal loss, plus all of the other stuff that was heaped on me, I think that it was just kind of written off. But that's not always what happens. And you know what? As a kid coming out of a Christian school environment into that and just realizing that you don't know shit, that's got to be tough. I've often wondered how the parents deal with that, you know, whether or not any of these schools are ever held accountable for what they're doing or if anyone tries to hold them accountable. But it's the whole family aspect of it. We're just one big happy family here. And if we don't get to it, man, whatever, we'll get to it next year. Right. And that is very, very, very problematic. It's not any way that you want to deal with education. If you have a school an institution of education, and you know that this is what is standard, this is the standard rubric for this particular subject, this is how it should be taught, this is what these kids should be learning this year, you should stick with it. Yeah. But without accountability, mm-hmm. then who's going to make you stick with it? Yeah, That's, that's the problem. problem. There is, however, 
some division among the ranks between parents and schools in the way that some Christian schools do things. I was pleasantly surprised to come across this article because I wasn't even looking for this. It just sort of fell in my lap and I liked it a lot. And I was not at all surprised to learn that it came from Sojourners because I used to sit there when I was working at the radio station and during those periods of time when I was just pulling in programs off the satellite and I had nothing to do but monitor, I would sit there and I would read Sojourners. It was probably the number two Christian publication as far as I was concerned back in the day, just on the standpoint of how intelligently presented it was. You don't see this kind of level-headed thinking, as level-headed as you can get, and still maintain that theistic mindset. But this guy, his name is Evan Dolieve, and it comes from an article in Sojourners called Three Reasons I Won't Send My Daughter to Christian School. And I found two very encouraging quotes in here. And I'm just I'm just gonna read them, read them for what they're worth. I was looking on a school website about their beliefs and was shocked to see that there was a section on marriage. And not just any marriage, but heterosexual, biologically male and female together forever marriage. Why in the world is the school worried about teaching second graders about marriage? Answer, it's their way of prompting their view of marriage. And they want to assure all of those who enroll their children that heteronormativity is assumed. Think about that. This school devised a curriculum whose real purpose was to reassure parents that they are all about heterosexual marriage. It's not enough just to say it. No, let's make second graders take a class on it so that the parents know that we're serious about this. It's amazing the kinds of things that they'll do just to make points about things that they like slash dislike. And alternative lifestyles are not things that the average Christian anything is going to be friendly to. Right. But instead of just making a statement about it, no, now we have to devise this class for second graders Mm -hmm. that make sure that the point is driven home, not necessarily to the kids because what second grader cares about marriage, Right. but to the parents. That's the whole point. And I find that just a tad bit sinister. And I'm glad that there are Christians out there who also see through some of this bullshit. Right. I think that it's encouraging. The second quote that I found real interesting here is that some schools reject science. We, we just talked about this a minute ago. Some schools reject science, namely the theory of evolution. Evolutionary science is seen in some Christian circles as the arm of the devil, meant to pull us further and further away from the truth. These schools use the creation stories in Genesis 1 and 2 as their guide when navigating the waters of science and creation. There's only one tiny problem. The Bible is not a science book, a history book, or geography book. Oh my fucking God, some of them actually get it. Yeah. Rather, it's a book of faith. And this is just one of the many things that I loved about Sojourners back back in the day. And... I still, I mean, I'm not going to plug them or say you should read this because there was also a lot in that article that was very slanted. Of course. But at the same time, it proves that there are some of them out there. Mm -hmm. Like I've said before on this show, there's some of them out there that have enough of a brain in their head to understand the wrong in some of this shit. And it's encouraging. Not that it seems like it's making a whole lot of changes, but just the fact that there are people out there And they're willing to say, hey, you know what? This isn't right, is in fact encouraging to me, even if these people aren't turning their back on their faith just yet. Right. You know what I mean? 
But there's also the question of whether or not kids are getting the right indoctrination, which is the other point in this article. And I'm not going to get too far into it because if it involves religion at all, there really is no valid argument to be made about it on one side or the other. But since I already brought this up, I'm just going to make this one little observation here. The argument the author makes is that doctrine is taught from rigid perspectives within the walls of your average Christian school. And it becomes more a matter of if you go to school here, then you need to believe this than it does to be sensitive to the different beliefs that exist within Christendom and within that student's home. And honestly, this would ruffle the feathers of a lot of evangelical parents because most of them are incredibly territorial yeah. when it comes to the raising of their kids. I've given the example of one of the people that I knew back in the day who was also part of Tresdias, who also went to the church that we talked about last week, who chastised me at some point because, quote, I will discipline my child. That's God's mandate to me, not you. So I can certainly see a dyed-in-the-wool evangelical getting their feathers ruffled over that particular thing. Yeah. And also, on the heels of that, there's the whole aspect of belief shaming that happens yeah. in some Christian schools. Kids are often shamed for holding beliefs that go counter to the official opinion of the institution. Many Christian schools also carefully screen potential faculty and staff to weed out the ones who might differ with them on what they consider to be key points like baptism, the gifts of the spirit, the nature of salvation, but also on subjects like science, sexuality, and abortion. They very, very carefully screen mm -hmm. the people that they bring into that environment. In this context, I'll say it's for good reason, because we saw some of this happen where we went to college, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, there were issues with some of the professors that were kind of adjuncts. They weren't like full-time staff, right. but they weren't AG. Right. And you started seeing a few Methodist and Episcopalian ideas permeating some of the classrooms, and it oh, yeah. did ruffle some feathers. But as faculty in a Christian school, the more adamant you are about your beliefs, the more likely you are to police the shit out of the kids in your class over them and flat out shame them when they say things or ask questions that out them for believing things that the school doesn't like or that that teacher doesn't like, going back to a previous point, or not believing things that the school says are true. So it becomes an institutional thing. Right. Not really an individual thing. It's not about individual beliefs. It's about institutional beliefs and shaming people into believing things that they normally wouldn't or that they haven't been taught at home because that's the norm and that's the accepted truth within the confines of this institution. So now they have to toe the line when they're at school. It's the whole flowers are red thing. If you ever heard that song by Harry Chapin, it's the whole idea of conformity and shaming children into conformity. Let's get into a little dark area of Christian education called homophobia mm. and shaming of all alternative lifestyles and gender identifications out there. This is another one that I found purely by accident. It showed up in Twitter just a little while ago, um, within the last couple of days. The link to the article is in the show notes, and it's also on a number of news channels out oh, there, yeah. too. Definitely. A private school in Owasso, Oklahoma, is under scrutiny after expelling an eight-year-old girl for reportedly telling a female classmate that she had a crush on her. This school network, yes, there's more than one, 
there's mm-hmm. more than one school in this network, has a, quote, lifestyle statement that tells you everything you would ever need to know about them. I'm a little surprised, but also impressed at how many Christian parents defended the child against idiotic statements like, quote, expelling them is what Jesus would do. Really? Because when I read my Bible, I see a Jesus who isn't at all as uptight as that, at least not in this context. And here's where that opinion of mine comes from. Mark chapter 2, verse 15 through 17, reading from the NIV, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. Now, of course, there's that moralistic statement wherein Jesus acknowledges that these people are sinners right. over the things that they do. But not only did he not refuse to recline at the table with them, he seemed to be having a good time right. with them. And that was the thing that the Pharisees had a real problem with. Mm-hmm. So if Jesus can accept people the way that they are, at least in the context of this kind of a corporate gathering, and that's what school is too, mm-hmm. if he can accept people at face value in this kind of a context, then I'm sorry, but who are you again? If you're one of these people in a Christian school who is giving somebody flack over their sexual orientation, I'm sorry, but who are you again? But even in that context, let's remember that Jesus didn't think enough of homosexuality to ever say one single solitary word about it, positive or negative. So who knows if he ever would have lumped them in under the blanket of sinners in the first place. In short, there's no way that anyone can say with any degree of certainty that expelling a student for being gay is what Jesus would do, because even if Jesus viewed homosexuality as sin, he would have reclined at the table with them as well. He wouldn't have left in a fit of arrogance, he wouldn't have judged, and he wouldn't have tried to kick them out of the gathering either. Right. That's kind of the foundation for the whole, it's what Jesus would do thing, because this is the excuse that they use a lot. Right. Then there's this story of a clearly racist headmaster who already had a gay student in his crosshairs before he took the headmaster position. And once he had that, he almost immediately, within weeks, pounced on the opportunity to expel this at least partially out gay student. This happened at a school called Covenant Christian Academy in Texas. And here's a quote from one of the news articles on this. It was reprinted on a website called outsports.com. This happened at a school called Covenant Christian Academy in Texas. Within a few days of Headmaster Tony Jeffrey's arrival at CCA, he met with school board members, won their approval to dismiss Devin Bryant, and phoned Bryant's mother to notify her that his son was expelled. It was four days before the start of his senior year. His exact words were that Devin had chosen an evil path that was contrary to the Bible and therefore was evil, and he was only doing what Jesus would do. There it is again. And the interesting part here is that the parents were offered counseling. Yeah. But the kid wasn't. Of course not. Of course not. The mother actually spoke up and asked the headmaster if he was even a Christian because even she knew that this is not in any way, shape, or form the way that Jesus would have handled it. Right. You know, at least not the Jesus that they have made up in their minds as the person who loves and accepts everybody. That Jesus would not have done anything of the sort. And I mean... 
just looking at this guy's face, you know, just absolutely covered in smarm in that article mm. and thinking about his words and the sheer arrogance of postulating that this is what Jesus would do. I'm thinking to myself, that's right. Hide your racist ass behind the cross. I mean, it is pretty standard behavior. So why the hell not? Yeah. I mean, that's what a lot of them do when they get a little bit too vocal about opinions like this. First, they scapegoat their God and then they hide behind that premise. Now, if you are one of the ones that are sitting there thinking that this was some way this kid's own fault because he could have just laid low until he graduated, the little bit of context with this is that they were doing a project, a senior project, where they were decorating parking spaces. Yeah. And some of the stuff that this kid put in the parking space was a little bit iffy. The details are in the article. We're going long. I'm going to leave that to you to read if you really want to know what the details are. But that's the context to this. Certain people at the school didn't like certain things that were said, words that were placed into this little thing that he was doing with the parking space. So that was problem number one. So he was already a little bit too outspoken. And then he did this. So I'm sure that there are people out there that are thinking, well, you know, why didn't he just lay low until he graduated? Well, all I can say to that is why should he have? And why should he not be allowed to graduate with his friends just because a small group of Bronze Age thinkers found his orientation icky? Yeah. And as really. far as I'm concerned, there should have been no reason whatsoever, regardless of the environment that he was in, why he would have to hide who he was. Right. So it may not have been the smartest of moves. It may not have been the most discreet of moves, but... It was him, and there's no reason why he needs to be ashamed of who or what he is, regardless of the context. I could probably spend an entire episode on just this one thing related to Christian schools, but I think the point has been made very clear. These two cases are far from unique. I'll refer again to the movie Saved that takes place at a Christian high school and revolves around the girlfriend of a young man who figures out that he's gay. The way that this kid is treated by the school is not an exaggeration nor is the remedy of deprogramming that he's forced to go through. Spoiler alert, it doesn't work, and the final scene of this movie makes that point very, very clear. The last major point that I want to touch on here is one that raised my eyebrows when I was younger, when I was considering switching from public school to one of the local Christian high schools that several of my youth group friends went to. And I did get their handbook and I got a brochure and I read through it and I no way Jose'd the entire thing <laughs> just based on a bunch of different things. Yeah. Not the least of which being that I could see just by the way that the curriculum was presented that it was beneath what I was already doing in high school. Right. So that was, that was problematic right there. And we talked about that aspect of it a, min a minute ago. But the one thing that really stuck in my head that I thought was a little bit archaic and probably not necessary in any kind of modern setting was the concept of corporal punishment. Now, corporal punishment is a thing in Christian schools. It's a thing in private schools in general in a lot right. of places. Most places in the United States, it has now been outlawed, but there are still, I think, 19 states where it is still legal. And there are all kinds of gray areas when it comes to private institutions. Even with certain laws on the books, there are a lot of gray areas. I actually found some excerpts from several Christian school handbooks that I want to roll through a little quickly here just to give you the idea of what is going on out there right now in Christian schools in America. 
Let's look at Faith Christian School in Anniston, Alabama. This comes directly from their code of conduct. Quote, Faith Christian School has the biblical and legal right to provide corporal punishment for all students. However, we feel that this form of punishment should be used sparingly as a last resort to denying students their right to an education. While all teachers are authorized to administer corporal punishment, teachers above the second grade are encouraged to refer students to the office for a paddling by an administrator. Mm. Oh, so that's so much better. Yes. Teachers are also strongly encouraged to communicate with parents prior to utilizing corporal punishment. Oh, isn't that nice? They're strongly so encouraged. Nice. They're not required, but they're strongly encouraged. You see, mm. that leaves that leaves just enough room for emotions to yeah. determine just how far you go with this. Then there's Calvary Christian School in Kennewick, Washington. The school's disciplinary policy includes corporal punishment and will be administered under the school's corporal punishment policy. And here's the policy. CCS is honored that you have asked our staff to assist you in training your child for Christian leadership. So we're going to train them for Christian leadership by smacking them around. Okay. Mm. Our total program is designed to develop the spiritual and academic qualities that characterize your child. We appreciate your confidence in our program to carry out your wishes for total character development. <laughs> yeah, smack them. That's, <laughs> that's how you're going to build character. We believe it is necessary to follow scriptural admonition to correct a child when their behavior is in violation of proper or reasonable rules and procedures. When warranted, corporal correction will be exercised under the following guidelines. You know, it's painful to just look at these, let alone read them out loud. So let's do this quick. The offense will be clearly discussed with your child. Well, that's nice to know. Approval of the parent will be obtained before corporal correction is administered. A staff member will discuss scriptural applications and will pray with your child. A reasonable number of firm strokes, not to exceed three, will be administered by the acting administrator in the privacy of the principal's office using a simple flat paddle. A staff witness will be present. Your child will not be physically restrained. If the child refuses to submit to the paddling, you will be required to come and take your child home for the day. A conference with the principal and child's teacher will be required for readmittance to the school. You know, if I was the parent in that situation, I'd just go pick him up. And we'd have a powwow with the principal the next day. No, no one's going to hit my kid. No. It's that simple. Mm. Uh, not that it didn't happen in my Catholic school once in a while, but one of my teachers learned the hard way that if I got hit, I had my mother's permission to hit back. And that was with other kids and it was with teachers because we had one teacher who liked to pull hair. Oh, yeah. And she did it to me one time too often and she got cold cocked. And I almost got kicked out for it, but it got smoothed over because, you know, she wasn't supposed to be doing that. And it was understood that she wasn't supposed to be doing that. So let's just say there was a meeting of the minds between my mother and this awful bitch of a principal that we had in the school, who was also a nun. So uh. sorry, Jesus, your wife was a bitch. Um, <laughs> it's just that simple. Jeez. After administration of the strokes, that sounds so awful. Couldn't they have come up with a, a better way of saying that? After administration of the strokes, the staff member will pray 
with your child, assuring their love for the child. You know what I had going through my mind when I read that statement? Was that child at 26 years old having a conversation with her bestie about why she's staying with an abusive partner because he hits me because he loves me. Of course. I mean, that's the recipe. Don't normalize this stuff. You can't normalize this stuff. No, no, you can't. But they do. Yeah. They're they're doing it every day in Christian schools, not just in America, around the world. We'll get to that in a sec. But it is something that is being normalized in children's minds. Now, some of these schools, to be fair, tend to shy away from corporal punishment toward females. So there is that. But But still. But still. You know what? I think that you and I both know that men can be the targets of abusers, too. Of course. So... Regardless of whether or not the child is male or female, this could have a very detrimental effect on the way that they see themselves later in life. So we're going to hit you, and then we're going to reinforce that we love you. Mm-hmm. It's it's just, it's mind-blowingly sick. And then the last part of this, a, wi- a written record will, a written record, <laughs> a written record will be made of the date, offense, number of strokes, and name of correcting staff member and witness. A copy will be sent to you. So, great. Now, you, now you've now you got a lasting record of the time that your kid got smacked around at school. Mm. Now, the Christian high school that I mentioned a little while ago that I was thinking about attending also had that corporal punishment policy. And it was one of the things that made me go, eh, you know, I didn't, I wasn't afraid that I would get hit because I wasn't a discipline case. But thinking back to my first semester at Valley Forge, I was kind of treated like a discipline case when I got there. So who the hell knows what would have happened when I transitioned over to this place. But it wasn't the fear of being subjected to that. It was just the simple fact that it happened. And I was not at all thrilled with the the prospect of being in an environment with people who thought that was okay. But I actually looked them up. And it looks like they have woken up and smelled the 21st century because I don't see anything about paddling in the disciplinary code anymore. So it looks like at least one of these places has been dealt a little dose of enlightenment. But like I said a few minutes ago, this problem is not just here. It's not just in America. There were a group of people not long ago who actually took their need to hit children to the High Court of London. And this is from an article from The Guardian. And just going to read a quick quote here. It puts a period on the point that this is a pervasive problem within the religion. It has nothing to do with the society in which it happens. It has everything to do with the religion. Quote, Christian independent schools yesterday asked the High Court in London for the right to smack their pupils on the biblical grounds that Quote, the rod of correction imparts wisdom. When I see the phrase smack their pupils, all I can think of is my eyes wide open and... (laughs) (laughs) No. Okay. The group of head teachers, teachers, and parents believes that banning corporal punishment breaches parents' rights to practice their religion freely under the Human Rights Act. And that's there, not here. Corporal punishment in independent schools was banned in 1999. Just think about that. Mm. Now, it took until 1999 to ban it outright in Great Britain, okay? Yeah. But John Friel, acting for the claimants, told Mr. Justice Patrick Elias that the group, quote, believe as part of their religious worship and part of their religious belief that corporal punishment is part of their Christian doctrine. 
he referred the judge to papers containing quotations from the Old Testament on the value of caning children. The book of Proverbs 23.13 reads, The rod of correction imparts wisdom, but a child left to itself disgraces its mother. He also cited the next verse that says, Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish him with the rod, he will not die. Punish him with the rod and save his soul from death. That's kind of weighty. Yeah. And it's very overstated. And it's very overwrought. But then again, so is a lot of what's in the Bible. (laughs) And along the lines of the book of Proverbs, I came across another article from a website called privateschoolreview.com where I found this quote, several studies have shown both the practice of and belief in corporal punishment to be much higher among fundamentalist Protestants. Many fundamentalists believe that hitting children is sanctioned or mandated by the Bible. They cite multiple verses in the book of Proverbs as authority for their belief. Proverbs 3:11 and 12, 13, 24, 1918, 2030, 2215, and 2313 and 14. Most religions in general do not condone or encourage it. So that says something about this religion. I mean, in case there wasn't enough to hate about evangelical religion, they have the gall to stand up and just say that this is something that's okay. Not only that it's okay, but it's their biblical right and mandate. And that's very, very scary. But you know what? We've done two episodes recently on the impact of violence. Right. So this should not be at all surprising. And it's not just in the white evangelical sector either. It's evangelicals in general. I probably at this point know way more evangelical parents who don't hit their kids than I do those who do. But when it comes down to a school, it becomes a matter of control. And that's the real reason. Not a bunch of verses in Proverbs. They want to maintain that level of control because that's what this religion is all about. Controlling you and when necessary, beating you into submission. Yeah. Yeah. Sadly, even with state laws prohibiting these things in public schools and I mean, it was alarming just how recently some of these laws have been enacted in some states or how recently it's been banned. Private schools, largely, even in states that have banned corporal punishment, are still the wild, wild west in most instances. And they can basically do what they want, often without parental consent. But, you know, that's kind of changing, too. Most of the time, the parents either give consent as part of the enrollment process or They give it case by case, like those two examples that we just read. One said that they have the discretion as to whether or not they're going to inform the parent. And then the other one said, oh, we always inform the parent. So it can go either way, depending on the school that you're putting your kid in. The whole notion of the parental involvement here is nothing but a cover your ass move on the part of the schools. And it's also one that leaves children and parents at odds. And in extreme circumstances, well, not even in a lot of circumstances, yeah. removes many of the senses of safety and love that children should be experiencing at home. But, you know, this is the same religion whose leader once said, I have come to turn a man against his father and his mother, Mark ten thirty five. Mm. So yeah. this is an example of how that works. Now, you can talk to me all you want about these words of Jesus not being meant to be taken literally. But when you can see the application of them right out in front of you, 
in various contexts, then what are you supposed to take away from that? So that verse came immediately, immediately to mind when I read that statement or when I read the article that talked about this. So just like I do toward the end of every episode, I want to kind of encapsulate what we've been talking about tonight and kind of bring it home a little bit more for the evangelicals or ex-evangelicals or those who are on the fence about their faith right now. Just want to give you the Reader's Digest version of everything that we talked about tonight and see if anything in here clicks with you, if it has an impact on you, because there's a lot to think about with this subject. Christian schools make it impossible for many who grow up in an evangelical environment or in the environment of that particular school to ever be in a place where truth about anything is truly clear in their heads. Global warming isn't a problem because God promised to never destroy the world again. Science, unfortunately, never made any such promise. Evolution is wrong because it's, quote, just a theory. Okay, so what's a scientific theory? Because the words theory and myth are not as synonymous as you like to think they are. We can't tell the truth about a lot of history because it outs us as violent, racist, and in some cases just generally batshit crazy. Well, maybe that ought to tell you something. I mean, think about it. So what's left to say about any of this? Christian schools do damage. Real, measurable lifelong damage. They do damage to people's intellects. They do damage to their self-esteem and self-image. They destroy people's ability to think logically, rationally, or in any way that even motivates them to discover the truth about anything. And they do all of it hiding behind the very errant premise that this is what Christ would have them do. It's one thing when you're part of a church with a pastor that spews all this bile from the pulpit, For the average evangelical, that's one chance a week that anyone has to slide in this stinking thinking, because most of them aren't going to the 18 services that their pastor would like them to. Usually it's a one-shot deal. Now imagine that you are a school-aged child or teen, and this is six to eight hours of every weekday, and you're getting your head pumped full of this shit in Sunday school, children's church, the main service, wherever you happen to be on Sunday, and this is happening every single week. And many students don't even get a respite over the summer. I mean, that's what Christian camps are for. Mm. It doesn't surprise me in the least how closed off most evangelicals are to the truth about anything when they grow up in an environment so cloistered that they never see any other point of view and never have the chance to develop a sense of self. And the worst part of all this is that It will continue until society puts a stop to it. As of right now, that just flat out isn't happening, and I'm not sure if it would even be constitutional to try the way that we have things set up here with separation of church and state being such a big thing. I don't even know how much more we can do from a legislative standpoint to change anything at this point. Our system of law and government is far from perfect, and organizations like Christian schools exploit the chinks in the armor really, really, really well. They do it with enough efficiency to call biblical studies history classes, to call creationism science, and reserve the right to hit a kid just so long as the child is told he or she is loved when they're done. It's just another way of framing hate as love in the eye of the believer, much like expelling someone for saying she has a crush on another girl. Jesus would kick them out. Whatever happened to come unto me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's Matthew eleven twenty eight. Whatever happened to suffer the children to come unto me, Matthew 19, 14. I see nothing there about shunning children over 
anything. And I can think of few people groups out there whose lives are more weary and heavy laden under the cover of evangelical faith as the LGBTQ community. As with almost everything else we talk about on this show, the only real defenses we have are to run interference on all the lies and present sound, truth-based arguments and proofs to counter them. We also have a responsibility to be active in government and in our states and countries' electoral processes, so laws that we don't like or have worn out their welcome in society get replaced by those that encourage free thought and, more importantly, protect the most vulnerable among us. Our children are part of that group, and they are a big part of it. We may not be able to infiltrate Christian schools and tell them to teach real science. We may not be able to stop the homophobic agenda that exists within their walls. And we may not be able to physically put our hands between the paddle and the student. But we can continue using our voices. We can keep making the people who do these things to children uncomfortable by exposing the things that they do and bringing them under levels of scrutiny that they cannot dismiss or ignore. And if we persist, it may just help children in the future escape some of the insanity that they're dealt in Christian schools and give them the chance to break free from the day-in, day-out indoctrination that holds their minds captive. It's time to get loud to the point where they can't ignore us because children are these people's most valued assets. They need children to keep advancing their ranks. Even their own book says in Proverbs 24 to rescue those being led to their death. And that is what is happening here. And I'm not being hyperbolic. Christian education leads to the death of reason, the death of knowledge, and worst of all, the death of self that so many of these small-minded people actually aspire to. It's high time that those of us who know better about all of this start stepping up and making it clear that what happens within the walls of most Christian schools is flat out wrong because that's how we're going to rescue children from the fate of lifelong belief and give them a better chance of getting and staying unbound. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Unbound. Show topics are chosen based on their timeliness, relevance, and social impact. Have suggestions for future topics? Email us at unbound.podcast.network at gmail.com with all your comments and feedback. Please don't forget to like, share, and throw a few five-star ratings our way and follow us on all major social platforms. And don't forget to hit subscribe if you haven't already. Links to our social pages as well as a full list of cited sources in today's episode are listed in the show notes available at our website, getunbound.org. That's get-unbound.org. If you value this resource and would like to see it continue, please consider supporting us on Patreon at the link in the show description. And be sure to check for new updates every Sunday when we'll come together again and take one more step toward getting and staying unbound.